welcome to Cupcake Land. <laughs> uh, our, our little uh, egg uh, resource cupcake over there uh, is turning 65 today, and a very special dish was uh, dished out by Jesse Harding today. Spores, soybean producers, egg producers. <laughs> Everything that Sugar goes, producers. Everything oh, that goes it. into Dairy a cupcake. Dairy producers. You betcha. And uh, a perfectly uh, perfectly appropriate treat for Dewey Nelson here on his birthday. That's right. So he told me it was his birthday, and he told me it was his 65th, and I said, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you wouldn't think so. The man moves like he's he does. about 25. I've worked, let's see here, almost 20 years with the man, and I had no idea he was 65. There's no way. Yeah. I'm not sure he wants that out. He's not. He doesn't like us talking about it. I don't think. <laughs> he doesn't like that at all. Anyway, uh, happy birthday, Dewey! However old you are, you don't look a day over. Well, let's let that. Pass. <laughs> uh, it's uh, Jesse Harding who has our headlines in ag. Well, coming up at the twelve thirteen, Kansas wheat harvest is continuing on. We'll get an update about what is going on in Kansas. We'll also talk about food prices and if they're higher or lower than where they trend. For the twelve nineteen, Hanneborg, our summer intern is going to be with Tracy Patchell. She is an associate extension educator with Nebraska Extension, and talking about and also four H youth development. And they're talking about the Raise Your Hand Four H campaign that is currently going on. For the newsmakers, Susan Littlefield is with Dave Warner from Albion, and that's Boone County, Nebraska. They are now over 30 days with no rain. And so they're going to talk about what's going on with producers in, in that area and what they're dealing with the lack of rain that they have right now. And then for the 117, I'm joined with Eli Oldie. He is president of the Kansas FFA Association. He's from the Clifton Clyde chapter, and we are discussing being a state officer and also the recent National Leadership Conference for state officers that they competed in last week, completed, not competed, mm-hmm. in last week in Des Moines, Iowa. All right, very good. Dewey Nelson could run quite a few races and win them, I think. He could. Yeah. He could, especially in his age group. Let's check it in with for sports with Jason here. Hey, the CWS final is set. It's an all-SEC final, which makes some people groan, but it should be some decent baseball uh, the next couple of nights, at least in Omaha, as LSU. They'll battle Florida for the crown. Also, we tell you what a couple of former Husker volleyball players were up to this weekend. They were helping Team USA, the Pan American Cup, and why John McEnroe decided to go there, I'm not quite sure, but he made some interesting remarks involving Serena Williams over the weekend, oh. saying that if she played on the men's tour, she'd be ranked 700th. <laughs> that why sounds, go? Like, that yeah. sounds like Mac. Why, why go there? Yeah. Because it's McEnroe, that's no, why. No, but there's nothing to be gained, especially in this day and age. But apparently he Has that ever stopped? Good point. John McEnroe. <laughs> All right, over here to Bob we go for business. U.S. stocks are mostly higher in midday trading, but the market was held back by a downturn in technology companies. Also, demand for long-listing, uh, long-lasting, hard for me to say, U.S. factory goods fell by the most in 18 months. And Warren Buffett is uh, going shopping he has bought 10% of a real estate investment firm, and he can do that because, well, he's Warren Buffett. <laughs> he's got the cash on hand, no question about it. All these stories and more today on Midday. 
Paul Perkins stops in to take a look at, uh, well, looks like we've got a little bit of activity beginning to form. Yeah, just a few pop-up scattered thunderstorms. We've been seeing this throughout the morning. Right now, some of that activity in between Broken Bow and Lexington, also to the north of North Platte. When it does start to flare up, it does become a little locally intense, but there's just some very small areas of showers and thunderstorms across the area, especially right along I-80 and points to the north. Some of that activity, once again, also towards the North Platte area, in between Broken Bow and Lexington, and also in between Central City and York this morning. Otherwise, the activity is starting to trail out of southeast Nebraska. Our regional ag weather is brought to you by Coleman Repair. Temperatures right now pretty much in the upper 60s to low 70s region-wide. We will see more high-pressure drop in from South Dakota today. That will keep our temperatures on the cool side with some sunshine gradually returning. A few more late-day thunderstorms are possible, especially over west, central, and south areas. A lot closer to a stalled-out front will lop towards our southwest. A few of those storms may be severe, but not expected too much in the way of any severe weather. Maybe some hail and wind as the main threats. A more active weather pattern, though, does get underway for tomorrow. Temperatures look to be warmer with some strong south winds as a warm front and low pressure start to move to the east. A lot more summer-like feel for the rest of the week after today. Those thunderstorm chances really increase for tomorrow. A greater chance of severe weather tomorrow over west and central Nebraska and extreme north-central Kansas. And that's where we do have a slight risk already for some severe storms tomorrow. Large hail is possible tomorrow, but it looks like that main threat could be some strong winds for tomorrow. So heads up on that. And we will see some windy conditions tomorrow also, and that, of course, will warm things up. Storms should clear by Wednesday morning, but we could see a little more redevelopment in the afternoon and evening right near cold front that does linger across the southeast. A warm front warms those temperatures back up as we head towards Thursday, and also the possibility of another round of strong to severe storms. Also the potential of some beneficial rain this week on Thursday and Thursday night. So a couple of decent chances at some showers and thunderstorms this week, which we definitely need some moisture with. Late Friday night into Saturday, there is a chance for a few showers or storms with the slow-moving, weaker area of low pressure. Our temperatures over the weekend about near seasonal, but that will be changing in our temperature forecast for the long term for temperatures a high likelihood of warmer than normal temperatures for nebraska kansas and pretty much all of the nation the first nine days of july those chances of warmer than normal temperatures are the highest in nebraska and kansas right after the fourth in early july in central nebraska our daytime highs usually average in the mid to upper 80s with overnight lows in the low 60s that precipitation forecast expects right above uh, just right off the bat, above normal rainfall in Nebraska and Kansas the first few days of July. But then we quickly trend to drier than normal early next week through July 9th. Weather factors driving market trade include mostly favorable conditions for crops in the Midwest, some possible rain in the northern plains, and a cooler trend for the southern plains. Cool weather and periods of showers will affect the Midwest and portions in the northern plains, while warm, mostly dry conditions expected to persist in the west. Early week temperatures will remain at least 10 degrees above average in parts of the Midwest or make that 10 degrees below average in parts of the Midwest, while record-setting warmth is possible in the Pacific Northwest. Yesterday, it did make it up to 125 in good old Death Valley, California. <laughs> the rain and no significant hot weather in the Midwest will keep our conditions mostly favorable for developing corn and soybeans, especially as the temperatures return to seasonal levels. More rain needed in the northern plains to benefit the developing corn, soybeans, and spring wheat. That lack of hot weather, though, will limit the crop stress. In the southern 
Southern Plains. No significant concerns right now for mature wheat and the harvest. Some cooler weather this week will favor the developing corn and sorghum. Rain last week from Tropical Storm Cindy in the Delta mainly benefited the soil moisture levels. There were some exceptions that had some localized flooding, but overall not a big detriment. Cooler weather in the Canadian prairies this weekend slowed the development of crops, but not expected to be damaging. More rain needed in northeast China, especially the western crop belt. That's where it will be compounded this week with some drier and hotter weather. But later this week, they are looking at an increase in scattered showers with less heat. You gotta really like the warmth if you're gonna live in a place <laughs> called Death Valley. <laughs> no kidding, man. Can you imagine? Unbelievable. Yeah, and, and you know, it, this is not you know this is above normal for them, but yeah, yeah it's it's still, still uh, on a regular basis. <laughs> very actually hot. live there. I can't believe it. Yeah. This ag weather brought to you by Coolman Repair. Now you keep talking about winds tomorrow. What should we prepare for? Well, we're probably looking at some wind gusts in many areas around twenty to thirty-five miles per hour, especially by the afternoon. The forecasters and the forecast discussion have actually hinted. Don't be surprised if that gets increased to about 40 mile an hour wind gusts for tomorrow. And we could be looking at some very strong winds if we do see some severe thunderstorms start to fire by the afternoon and evening. All right. We'll keep it right here for all the latest information. So when you need weather anytime, krvn.com. Look at agriculture information on the Roll Radio Network and Jesse Harding. Wheat harvest has reached part of northern Kansas and Joe Gangwish has an update. According to the latest Kansas Wheat Harvest Report, cutting has been quite scattered for farmers in the Beloit, Kansas area. But for Michael Jordan, he says he's been in the field for about a week now. Jordan says all of a sudden everything in that area was ready to cut, and that's when it got a little wild. Jordan reported that the wheat that was affected by freeze damage or disease problems has been low in yields, which is expected. He's seen good yields this harvest and said most of his fields have been ranging in the mid-60s. Jordan adds he's been taking most of his wheat to the bins for seed wheat, but what has gone to the elevator has averaged around 61 pounds for test weights, with moisture generally low, down around 11%, and protein has been a disappointment, usually at 10. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Joe Gangwish. Nebraska farmers can apply for federal grants to help fight erosion on their lands. The USDA's National Resource Conservation Service has funding available to help farmers fight erosion, but requests must be submitted by July 21st. Nebraska State Conservationist Craig Dickerson says planting cover crops or using grassed waterways are good techniques to prevent gullies from flooding. He says it's important to prevent these gullies from flooding because they can carry away soil and create small ditches. According to the latest USDA food price forecast, there's still a chance for overall 2017 grocery store food prices to be the same as 2016. Amory Coons from USDA Economist has the latest 2017 retail price forecast for various meat products. Beef and veal prices were expecting to pay one and a half to two and a half percent less in 2017. Pork prices, we're expecting to pay 1% to 2% less for pork. Then looking at poultry, we're expecting poultry prices to increase also. We're expecting those to rise between half and 1.5% in 2017. And then fish and seafood, looking at that, we're also expecting those prices to rise. And we could pay between 1% to 2% more for fish and seafood. And then finally looking at other meats, things like lunch meats, hot dogs, we're expecting to those to either remain unchanged to increasing as much as 1% in 2017. 
Coon said customers will pay 5 to 6% less for eggs than they did in 2016. And producers are always being told to scout the fields, and now it's time to look for corn rootworm worms. Susan Littlefield has more. Taking time to scout the fields quite important, according to Kevin Keller, a DeKalb Asgro technical agronomist. But he's got a great recommendation for looking for corn rootworm. One of my favorite things to do is find some volunteer corn patches and just see um, if there's a presence of corn rootworms. Sometimes they're easier to find the larvae at higher populations in those areas. But don't utilize that as your as your threshold uh, on determinate. You know, you definitely want to go to your traded plants that you planted to see what the what the rootworm larva look like as far as population and also stage. So what is that economic threshold? According to Keller, looking at 350 corn, he recommends anywhere from three to four larvae around the plant to make that application. And of course, if you have any questions or concerns, contact your local agronomist. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. And Senator Jerry Moran of Kansas recently sent a letter urging the Federal Communications Commission to move forward for the Remote Areas Fund. The senators urging the FCC to structure the RAF in a manner that expands broadband and gives access to those living in rural and remote areas. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Hannah Borg. It's the largest youth development program in the nation with over 140,000 members right here in Nebraska. That's right, I'm talking about 4-H. Today on the phone, I'm talking to Tracy, an extension educator at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln about the Raise Your Hand 4-H campaign. Tracy, start us off by telling us what the campaign is all about. The 4-H campaign for Raise Your Hand is really focused upon calling on our alumni across the country to raise their hands and to help us with our growth goal of reaching 10 million youth by 2025. We have some pretty aggressive growth goals, and we're really encouraging our alumni to reconnect with us. What is your main goal that you want to accomplish through this campaign? So as a part of connecting with our alumni across this country and, and throughout Nebraska, we are really wanting to, to have them be a part of our program once again, um, really sharing their experiences with us and how they benefited as a 4-H participant, as a youth member, and then reconnecting with us through uh, their participation as potentially a volunteer. And we're always looking for other ways for them to be involved um, through donations and other ways that we can help connect them to our programs. But the the primary primary ways we're trying to reconnect with them and the purposes of them connecting with us is that they might be, um, be able to re-engage and to really um, help the children of, of the state and of the nation um, through 4-H youth development. I know 4-H had a huge impact in my life, and I know many others have the same kind of story. So for those who want to get involved, how can they and where do they go to get involved? So joining the, the true leaders and the Raise Your Hand promotion is, is really easy. Alumni can go onto the website at 4-h.org backslash raise your hand, and then they share their contact information with us. Um, raising your hand in this way is really a vote toward youth here in our state and across the country. Those hands that are raised across the country are really votes toward the youth of our state and our nation. So I hear there's a little competition going on. Could you tell us more about that? 
there is a competition happening nationally, and states are being asked to, again, connect with their alumni, and raising the hand is actually a vote towards a $20,000, a $10,000, or a $5,000 award uh, for the states with the most hands raised. So um, Nebraska is currently um, not in the top five, but we are really trying to move toward that mark um, by June 30th is when the competition will end. So um, this little competition is, is happening nationally, and there's other states in the lead right now, but we're looking to continue to reach out to our alumni and ask them to complete um, this information at 4-h.org backslash raise your hand. What does 4-H mean to the state of Nebraska? When I think about what 4-H means to the state of Nebraska, it is really empowering our youth and preparing our youth for the future of our state. One last time, can you tell the alumni who are interested in becoming involved can go to sign up for the campaign and hopefully get Nebraska in the top five for that cash award? That would be great, yes. Uh, 4-H.org backslash raise your hand is the place where you can um, connect with the campaign, and we're asking alumni to go to that location. If you're interested in learning more about Nebraska 4-H and how you might be able to connect locally, um, you can always go to 4-H.unl.edu where there's more information about our programs in all uh, 93 counties across Nebraska. We've been talking to Tracy, an extension educator, about the 4-H Raise Your Hand campaign for alumni. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Hannah Borg. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check some sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, LSU and Florida begin the best of three College World Series title matchup tonight. Now, both teams will save their aces for later on after heavy workloads last week and over the weekend of the CWS. The Tigers have won six national titles since 1991, while the Gators have yet to win a title despite 11 appearances at the CWS. Now, Florida won the head-to-head regular season matchup between the two way back in March. That best-of-three final starts tonight at 6 Central Time. The ACC and the Big Ten today announced the dates for the 19th annual Big Ten ACC Men's Basketball Challenge. The matchups will feature all 14 Big Ten teams and all but one ACC member. Now the dates have been selected. Iowa plays at Virginia Tech on Tuesday, November 28th, and the Huskers will host Boston College on Wednesday, November 29th. Former Nebraska volleyball standouts Amber Rolfson and Justine Wong-Aranis won the gold medal with the U.S. Women's National Team of the Pan American Cup yesterday in Peru. The U.S. defeated the Dominican Republic in four sets to capture its fifth all-time Pan American Cup. Tim Tebow's moving up and heading south to some very familiar territory. He's been promoted to the New York Mets High Class A affiliate in St. Lucie, Florida. He entered his final game with Columbia, hitting 222 with three homers and 23 RBIs, and he talks about the promotion. You just got to take it in stride. as It's the next opportunity. Um, stay focused, work hard, try to improve, and um, um, you know, take it head on. And I know that I got a lot of, long way to go. Still improving every day, I feel like, um, and you know, try to keep those improvements coming. In other baseball news, the Dodgers will try for their 11th straight win tonight, which would be the team's best since starting 2006. Rich Hill pitches for the NL West leaders against the Angels, who have struggled the last couple of weeks. And tennis great John McEnroe is back in the news. He says Serena Williams would be like, quote, 700th in the world tennis rankings if she played on the men's tour. 
McEnroe, speaking to NPR about his memoir, You Cannot Be Serious, says Williams is the best female player ever, no question about it. But when asked about her being the best ever without gender qualifiers, he said he didn't think so. McEnroe said, quote, if she played on the men's circuit, she would be ranked 700th in the world. Former tennis bad boy added that he thought Williams could beat some male players, but said if she played on the men's circuit, it would be an entirely different story. McEnroe won seven Grand Slam titles in his career. Williams has won 23. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Mostly clear skies tonight, lows in the 50s. I'm Dave Schroeder. Montana authorities say they found homemade bombs in a home after the arrest of a man accused of shooting at a Kansas State trooper. Richard Gathercole of Roundup, Montana, was arrested Tuesday at a gas station in Lexington, Nebraska, a day after a man fired at the trooper on Interstate 70 in Kansas. The trooper wasn't injured. The Musinshell County Sheriff's Office said in a statement that deputies assisted FBI agents and officers from California and Idaho in searching a home in the town of Roundup on Saturday. They found numerous improvised explosive devices that were removed by a bomb squad. Gather Cole is being held in the Dawson County Jail on charges of theft and possession of stolen firearms. A group of Masons has embarked on a week-long tour across the state that started Sunday in Fremont. Grand Master Rick Meyer says he'll visit different Masonic lodges. We decided to organize a road trip where a bunch of us would take our motorcycles and our vintage cars and travel the different places in Nebraska that Masonic lodges exist, or as many as we can get to, and just say, hey, we're here if you're nearby and, and day is convenient, come say to hi to us and we'll have a chance to have a little fellowship and talk. Meyer says the Masons will visit roughly 35 different lodges. The University of Nebraska-Lincoln plans to raise a matching pair of high rise dormitories. They have housed thousands of students since 1963. All 13 stories of Cather Hall and Pound Hall will be imploded and disappear from Lincoln skyline as early as the end of this year. Both dorms have been used for overflow in recent years as the demand for student housing exceeded expectations. Cather Hall was reopened to students in 2013 shortly after it was taken offline. Pound Hall has been home to students in each of the last three school years. Brooke Hay, assistant director of the university's facilities, planning, and construction, says a school settled on what officials say will be the quickest, safest, and most cost-effective option for the buildings. In Kansas, authorities say a northeast Kansas man died after an all-terrain vehicle on which he was riding went into a ditch and hit a power pole. The Kansas Highway Patrol says 49-year-old Alex Blow of Havensville died in the accident shortly before 7 p.m. Saturday evening in Pottawatomie County. And back in Nebraska, a fire that destroyed a Sarpy County home spread to two others nearby. Bellevue firefighters arrived late Sunday night at the home, which sits southeast of Papillion. Arriving firefighters say the home already was engulfed by flames, which had spread to the second home and was melting siding on the third home. No injuries reported. The cause of the fire is being investigated. Get your news fast and first when you like our Facebook page. In the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroll. We continue to hear about dry concerns in the Dakotas and Minnesota. But what about parts of Nebraska? Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Dave Warner is with Top Crop Ag Services out of Albion. 
On Friday, he and I talked about the dryness seen outside of Albion and into the northern part of the state. You know, I, I travel pretty big areas, Susan, and, uh, you know, with Albion being the, the hub, but, you know, I travel north, north of Neely, go down south of Columbus, out west of Spalding. You know, a lot of those places are sand areas, and uh, we have not had a rain here in this area, and I mean, it's a big area around north central northeast nebraska that we have not had rain in 30 plus days and i'll tell you if you don't have irrigation right now you are stressed to the max you know we've had we had 21 days straight of 85 degrees and 30 to 40 mile an hour winds every day the wind blew i mean we had straight like that and you know this crop as small as it is cannot take that because we, we had no root system underneath it. If you go back to May when we were planting and even into April, we were cool and wet. You know, we didn't uh, didn't have the best conditions at all to work with to try to get the crop in the ground. So we, we stick it in the ground when it's probably way too wet, and, and I will say it was too wet. So we stick it in the ground. We've got cool conditions. We can't get very good emergence out of this. And all of a sudden, we turn and we we just go straight to summer, and we are hot, we are windy. They turn that ground to cement on top, and regardless of having any moisture down, some subsoil moisture, you have to be able to get the roots down to that to make that happen. The top four to six inches around here was just like cement, and we could not get that out of there. And we have not had a rain since that's happened. And so a lot of this dry land is working with very, very marginal root systems. And they're, they're trying to get some, you know, nodal roots down into some of that moisture. And those are the only things that are keeping that alive right now. Because I'll tell you, we do not have, we have we've depleted a lot of our subsoil moisture with all that wind and all this heat. And if you do not have irrigation, your stands are very, very uneven or are very bad to begin with. And, you know, a lot of these guys work the ground. And so when they worked the ground, they dried it out even more, and then they went in and planted, and, you know, just did not get the stand, and we had not had Mother Nature help us on the other side to help bring that stand around, and we are way past the turning point now. We're going to the 1st of July, and, you know, some of this dry land, especially these dry land corners around these pivots, have very, very bad stands. Describe again for our listeners the area that you're talking about. I haven't been out west, but I hear Broken Bow, Ord, and Burwell are very dry. And I talked to some guys out that way that, that kind of keep me updated. But the, the area that I travel around here, which would be, I go north to Neely, you know, some up to O'Neill. It is very dry up in that country, too. Um, Neely here, as I'm at today, is very dry. I mean, dry land and a lot of sand around here, but it's very, very dry. You know, they've, had, they've not had a rain at all. You know, the dry land is looking, even today, with it being 62 degrees right now, some of this corn is not coming back around from, like, the heat two days ago. It's still blue and rolled. That, that corn is so stressed that it can't come out of being stressed, even on a cool day. So, you know, when you go out to Spalding area, too, you go west of Spalding in that area, you know, Greeley County, no rain out there either, and that's very sandy. And the same things 
are happening there. And we're in, we're in a situation where, you know, if you're in a sandy area, you can't hardly keep up watering because you know, if you're sharing pivots with water, you know, it's, it's almost, you know, we, we needed this weather this weekend, just 70 degrees to kind of maybe be able to take some of this water in and get it to soak in because, you know, when it's 95 to 98 degrees like there was day before yesterday and the wind's blowing and you're trying to water, uh, it's about a worthless point because you're not getting a lot of water to the ground. You know, it's all dissipating before that happens. It's it's very frustrating right now. I mean, there's nothing. I mean, your hands are tied as a crop consultant as to what to do. you got to wait on Mother Nature to deliver. You know, we do. And, and you know, all you can tell your growers is to water. And they get tired of hearing you say water, water, water every week. But, you know, there's really nothing we can do. You know, the thing is, we do have some subsoil moisture in this in this harder ground, in this soil ground. We do have some subsoil moisture. That is not our problem right now. Our problem is getting the roots to that subsoil moisture. If a guy is a dry land right now, they're struggling, even on that aspect, because we had such shallow roots early because of this cool weather and the damp weather. So we got shallow roots, then it got hard, and then roots cannot get through that hard pan to get down into that. So, yes, we're struggling there, too. It is, a, it is a vast area. This isn't just, you know, an isolated instance of Boone County. My conversation with Dave Warner out of Boone County, Nebraska. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. Next, we talk with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. And there's a lot to be said about volatility in the uh, livestock futures, particularly today, Joe. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, I think a, a few people thought maybe we were over with the volatility. Well, guess what? We're right back into it again. And I, I still will contend it won't go away anytime soon. But uh, pretty good performance when you look at uh, the livestock today. Grading all the way across, limit up in the first three uh, feeder cattle and in the uh, August live cattle. We had a bearish report, I thought, uh, on uh, Friday. Guess not. But, you know, a lot of times it's a, it's a sell the rumor by the fact, and, and people were looking for kind of a bearish report. We, uh, and we started out lower, no doubt about it, and uh, in response to that report. But I think a couple of things, a uh, couple of factors. Uh, number one, the cash is still a premium to the live cattle. The, uh, the idea that, uh, you know, things are going to, we're going to collapse. The market was a little bit oversold. Number two, uh, you know, got a lot of short covering uh, taking place once again. So it'll be interesting to look at that open interest again tomorrow. We've been losing a lot of open interest. If it goes down again, that just solidifies the fact that we're still liquidating uh, the market. But overall, gee, was pretty uh, pretty strong performance. And the hogs also cash. Uh, Still leading the way the index uh, moved up once again, and uh, uh, cash seems pretty firm. That odds all higher, so, hey, a strong day. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Dewey Nelson reporting. 
beginning of June, the Kansas State FFA was able to host her annual convention, electing new state officers, and now have been participating in officer training with National FFA. For the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. With me is Eli Oldie. He is from the Clifton Clyde FFA chapters, currently serving as president of the organization. Eli, why don't you first tell us a little on yourself? So I've lived essentially my whole life in Clyde, Kansas, just a little small town on the Republican River. And although we do live in town, I have a background with agriculture. My dad grew up on a dairy farm that is still owned and operated within the family. And I have another uncle that runs a beef cattle operation. And so between those two and uh, my high school job being working for multiple farmers and uh, helping to clear pastures, uh, I've been connected and involved with agriculture for essentially my whole life. What were some of those main reasons why you decided to run to be a state officer? When I first started FFA, I just kind of went with the flow. I wasn't anybody who was very active with it. Throughout a couple of experiences, my freshman year, between my Green Hand Conference and a couple of competitions, I had the opportunity to meet with and kind of develop a relationship and gain a friend in a, one of the district officers at the time. And I kind of realized that this person helped me to see what all I could achieve and I could be meant to do something maybe a little bit special when it comes to serving other members and serving the other people in my life. In my life. And after that, that realization, I thought it'd be pretty cool to have that opportunity to be that person for other FFA members to inspire them to do something a little more, even though it might challenge them or they might have some fears involved with public speaking or job interview, things things like that, uh, that might be deterring them. If I can be that inspiration, that's, that's the main factor for me. And you guys recently completed the National Leadership Conference for state FFA officers through the National FFA. Why don't you tell us about that program and what you and the rest of the team were able to do? The National Leadership Conference was divided into three separate subjects, if you will. The first subject that we worked on was coming together as a team and developing our strengths as a team. So we covered some topics uh, like feedback and conflict resolutions so that we are able to better work more efficiently as a team. And then the second thing we worked into was just we call them ag summits where we did some sharing of ideas associations and these covered topics main one was ag advocacy and then just some of the other events that these state organizations are doing that we can maybe learn from each other uh, as we go throughout our years of service and then the third part was on presentation and development of speaking parts so we were able to learn more of some of the structure of the development of a speech for a workshop for members, and then also some of the development tips and tricks. And then we actually had some opportunities to try on some of those new tips and tricks and give a presentation in a, a setting with our fellow state officers. We've been talking with Eli Oldie. He is the president of the Kansas FFA Association and is from the Clifton Clyde FFA chapter discussing being a new state officer and some of the training that they have gone through thus far. For the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we closed higher in soybeans and corn. 
Spring wheat also higher, but winter wheat futures fell. Let's uh, talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. Let's start with the positive side of things with corn and soybeans with their recent trend in a, in a downward mode that we actually closed higher. Yeah, I think we're, you know, this is July delivery pressure in my opinion. So if you're sitting on physical grain that's either in an elevator somewhere, it's been basis contracted, uh, you're probably getting calls or have gotten calls from the elevator manager to, to price it. And I think we're, uh, we're, we're seeing that pressure as folks are kind of throwing in the towel here. We've got a nice move up. Um, you know, July, unfortunately, is going to set a lot, I think, below where the May was. So you're, I think this is all physical selling and, uh, you know, a lack of weather interest in the market right now, but that can change really quickly. Forecasts look like they're going to heat up there after the 4th of July, and we get a bullish we get a bullish report on Friday combined with some forecasts that look dry. I think we'll see that, that 380 front month pretty soon. Do you see volatility entering the picture before the report or after the report? You know, it'll probably upside volatility if, if we're going to get it, and I think it comes before the report. You probably see some guys coming out or here of guys buying call options where, you know, essentially, uh, I'm say lottery tickets, but they are uh, positions that are going to make money if the market goes higher uh, on a sharp uh, surprise. You know, this is a report that could certainly provide it. You look back at the last decade of, of the, the the market moves, a lot of them will come after this, this June report. You get the grain stocks numbers that could, I don't think we'll see a drastic change there in corn, but certainly could affect soybeans. And then uh, the acreage, which I think for a lot of the corn bulls like myself are, are, uh, are thinking that maybe we'll be below 89 million, or below 90 million, rather, closer to 89, uh, in form of disagrees with that, but I, I still think, given the late planning, we, we did see some switching in, in some of the more northern states up to those beans. All right. A lot of uh, pessimism here when it comes to winter wheat futures. Yeah. It's... Uh a pessimistic, I would say, is probably priced in. Now, we're, we're hit some technical levels that probably need to be sold if that's your, your, your process for selling. But, uh, you know, prices on the, the full overseas markets have held steady. And, and in fact, I think the, the fact that wheat didn't go down that corn market last week is a very good sign. Um, you know, I, I still look for some delivery pressure here as we get into July, but uh, I wouldn't be a seller on breaks. I'm a buyer on breaks in the wheat market, especially if, you know, you see that September KC wheat go down to, say, oh, 455 is maybe a price you want to look at there. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. That's where to go. DanielsAgMarketing.com. As we mentioned, we were 9 to 11 lower in those winter wheat futures today. Slightly higher corn and soybeans. I'm Dewey Nelson. This is live weather coverage from the Rural Radio Storm Center. Presented by Skeeter Barnes, the best beef and barbecue around, with locations in Kearney and Columbus, and by American Family Insurance, serving Lexington and Kearney. National Weather Service Hastings issues a severe thunderstorm warning for southwestern Gosper County in south-central Nebraska, northern Furnace in south-central Nebraska, also involved until 2 p.m. Central Time. A severe thunderstorm was located 11 miles northeast of Medicine Creek Reservoir State Recreation Area moments ago, about 24 miles east of Curtis, and that one moving southeast at 45 miles an hour with 60-mile-an-hour wind gusts, and some half-dollar-size hail has also been reported with that. That uh, also, with hail damage, expected two vehicles, and you could also likely, with 60-mile-an-hour winds, 
Uh, expect the possibility of some wind damage to roofs and siding. Again, locations in the impact area are expected to be Cambridge, Arapahoe, Holbrook, and Edison. And for your protection, you are advised to move to an interior room. Again, until 2 p.m., a severe thunderstorm warning is issued for southwestern Gosper and northern Furnace counties in south-central Nebraska for that thunderstorm, which continues to move through the area. Significant weather for eastern Frontier County until 2 p.m. Doppler tracking a strong thunderstorm that was moments ago near that Medicine Creek Reservoir, and that uh, continues to uh, pick up some intensity, and uh, strong thunderstorms also reported uh, kind of scattered a little bit less intense storms uh, then the one that has been given the warning information here in the last few moments uh, scattered around about the area through uh, most of Dawson down into parts of uh, Furnace into Red Willow, I'm sorry, let's call it uh, Phelps, Gosper, Furnace, and Frontier Counties. Uh, in the next few moments, we should likely see that, infer that information being released for Phelps and Harlan Counties as well. So be aware of the movement of that. We are also seeing some three-quarter inch hail that's been reported near uh, Eustis in Frontier County, a train spotter indicating that about nine miles south of Eustis within the next few moments. So that intense area of rain with mixed hail moving through that area. Also see other areas near Farnham with intense rainfall, and we've had moderate rainfall here uh, just north of Interstate 80 in the Lexington area. We're seeing another cell that's quite intense. It's moving down Interstate 80 between the Elm Creek and Kearney area right now. But then again, that is uh, very, very scattered, uh, scattered uh, storms that uh, are coming in by our information at this time. Uh, and as this continues to pick up speed through the afternoon, we will, of course, keep you informed with the very latest here with the Storm Center coverage presented by Skeeter Barnes, the best beef and barbecue around with locations in Kearney and Columbus and by American Family Insurance serving Lexington and Kearney.